0: On Monday, President Biden issued a stark warning that Russia is in the planning phases of a significant barrage of cyber attacks against the US. I'm Rob Lawrence, and this is a cyber update edition of EMS One Stop. This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L E X I P O so before we bring the experts in, I've got yet another expert, my partner in crime from various other webinars, Mike Tagman. Mike, welcome.
1: Thank you, Rob. It's good to be here.
0: This morning, First Watch put out a press release uh, reminding us and alerting us to what the president had said about cyber attacks. And so uh, why now?
1: You know, we just like with kind of COVID fatigue, it, you know, the word is, you know, we are sick and done of COVID and we're bored of hearing about it but COVID's not really done with us. And the, the alerts around cyber attacks have people have gotten some fatigue and they may be kind of blowing off uh, some of the concerns and the threats are more intense and greater than ever. And I just felt a, a strong responsibility to uh, our clients, our colleagues, our coworkers in the emergency services world that they just need to do everything they can to shore up their protections. Um, we're all intertwined and and related with each other. And if, you know, one organization gets uh-huh. penetrated, gets ransomware, any of any of these kinds of things, it has dire consequences for the people they serve, for their organization and and for the rest of us in emergency services. So the more we can make sure everybody stays on top of doing the actions to keep their systems safe and, and walled off from attacks, the better it is for all of us.
0: Excellent. And that sets us up perfectly for bringing our guests in in a second. Uh, and we've already had a number of webinars and a number of uh, information, uh, newsletters, etc., about cyber. Uh, we talked about on our very own Conversations That Matter, the Durham ransomware attack, um, we had Aim High, the Academy of International Mobile Healthcare Integration, uh, did some work with uh, with Frank Gresh, who we'll introduce in a second, and so there is a lot of resource out there. Obviously, the references in the presidential letter, and indeed the reference in the in the press release that we put out, and so there's a lot of reading for folk to do after this. But uh, Mike, thank you for taking a moment to join us and really setting the scene for the discussion we're about to have.
1: Thank you for uh, helping get the word out. And I hope everybody that uh, that listens to this uh, takes the actions they need to take and spreads the word so that their colleagues do the same.
0: Mike, for now, thank you, mate. Thank you. In this rapidly recorded session, welcome to Bill Ott, cybersecurity strategist at First Watch, and Frank Gresh, who's the CIO and interim COO from EMSA in Oklahoma City. Gentlemen, welcome and thank you for answering my call very quickly.
2: Happy to be here, Rob, as always.
0: Thank you, Rob. So let's get get into the meat of the subject then. And of course, I mentioned there, the president is telling us we're about to be uh, subject to a Russian, particularly, uh, cyber attack. Now, all of us have been on various webinars where the word cyber has been mentioned. Bill and I did a, a, the initial cyber discussion. Frank, through our Aim High uh, connections, of course, we did some work there where we talked about cyber as well. So since both of those webinars have taken place, gentlemen, what's changed?
3: Well, well um, to me, the, the most stark thing is these warnings in the past have always been issued by Homeland Security or CISA, or the FBI, this is the first time we've had the President of the United States hold a news conference and warn the public that we may be facing cyber attacks, cyber aggression from a nation state such as Russia in, in this situation. Um, I also uh, have access uh, to some of our intelligence operations from the military side of things. And I know that, um the intelligence is quite strong, and our intelligence throughout this entire Ukraine-Russia war so far has been very good, very accurate, and I believe uh, this is a very significant moment with the president making this announcement.
0: In fact, before I come to you, Frank, it was the UN amb- the Russian ambassador to the UN that said he who wins the information war shall win the war. So how do we know this is not just propaganda to get a- get our backs up, even from our president?
2: Well, so I have two two answers to that, Robin. The first answer I would give would be, if you have waited for the president to tell you that you should shore up your cyber defenses, uh, you're too late. Um, but there is absolute truth to the fact that he who wins the, the info war or the cyber war wins because we as a society, and that's globally, uh, have become so dependent on technology for everything that we do, whether it's the... Flush our toilets or launch our our aircraft. Um, we have become so dependent on that 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 a significant cyber uh, attack to infrastructure could have devastating effects uh, in 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 dollars and cents, and more importantly, in lives. So, absolutely, is uh, is the real deal when he says he who wins the info wars, or I translate that to He who wins the cyber war wins.
0: So, in other words, we're all in that particular front line, and uh, you two guys in particular, because you are the bastions of our cybersecurity uh, systems. So, how do we know we're coming under attack?
3: Well, um, just from what I do at First Watch. I, of course, monitor our networks and, and monitor our firewalls and our various appliances that help keep our systems and our customers' data safe. And uh, a year ago this time, our average number of, of network attacks or attempted penetrations on our primary firewalls was seven fifty to 75 attacks per second. And that was pretty normal across most businesses, most government agencies uh, in the United States. Well, in the last six months, that's rap- ratcheted up quite rapidly um, to where about three months ago for the first time we went over a thousand attacks per second and we have stayed there and in the last three weeks we've come up to 1500 in fact right before I joined you today I checked we're at 1780 attacks per second today on our primary firewalls and this is just this is just nasty malformed packets that are being thrown out. Primarily by the Russians, uh, to just basically try to create denial of service attacks, lock fireport ports open, from, um, you know, get get spurious traffic into your network. They're just trying to gum up the works, but they're also using this as camouflage to hide very specific, very targeted attacks against specific entities.
0: I mean, the statistics that you just quoted me there, Bill, I mean, if that was the rate of fire of a machine gun, it's going to make some pretty, you know, do some damage uh, to the outer walls of, uh, you know, whatever wall you've got.
3: Absolutely. We're looking at a 2,000% increase in a year that network attacks on our firewall. Well, the
2: thing you can do about it, number one, uh, as as Bill just pointed out, he monitors those things. Uh, so the first thing you need to be doing is to make sure you're monitoring, so you know. Well, actually, even before that, you should you should know what you have. So, do you have a firewall? Do you have all those things? Gosh, if you don't, uh, I'm sorry, we we can't talk to you anymore um, because you're you have gotten your you have let your security. Uh, down so far that uh, you're asking for it at this point in time from my perspective. So so monitoring of, of firewalls, monitoring of network traffic, monitoring of of all of the aspects of your organization should not be a manual process. Yeah, you know, Bill goes out and looks at his firewall logs. I go out and, and look at them. I get reports every morning from my firewall, um, you know, uh, that, that kind of levels where we're at from a, from a threat level and what that firewall is seeing, but I also have a security operations center that's got manned cybersecurity experts 24-7 watching what's going on on our network, watching what's happening to, for instance, we use Office 365 for email and documents and things like that. They're looking at all the security logs from those instances as well. They're looking at all the security logs from anything that connects to our system. So so we we have a team of people who are monitoring it, and we have lots of systems in place that are using AI uh, and and machine learning to be able to identify those threats and throw us up alerts early on. And yeah, we get alerts. You know, so far we're at like about a ninety-eight and a half percent false positive, and that's okay. And and we don't—I mean, we talk about an alert fatigue from time to time, uh, but but I am quick to remind everybody: I would rather respond to a thousand false positives than miss one. Uh, and, and have a bad situation go from worse. So uh, as, as much as, as we are used in, in public safety to talk about alert fatigue and things like that from a cybersecurity standpoint, there had better not be such a thing as alert fatigue because you can never take your eye off of that ball.
0: I think, uh, you know, the word fatigue has been particularly, uh, you know, pertinent to us in EMS for the last two years of pandemic because we constantly have to remind people to put their masks on. This is just a technological uh, version of that. Stick your masks on. Um, But it only takes one piece or one of those um, thousands of pieces of uh, malware to get through. And what could it do to a a typical EMS system?
3: Well, there's... Several types of attacks, <clears throat> excuse me, several types of attacks that we've seen. Um, ransomware, far and away, is the biggest, largest type of attack. And that's, that's the one that poses probably the most risk to everyone. And that is where the, the bad actor is able to uh, put a piece of software into your network um, by some form or fashion. They, somebody clicks on a bad link, somebody downloads a bad file and the ransomware then sort of maps out your network and calls home and says, hey, I've got a good target here, and they say, okay, let's activate, and they activate it. And what it does is it will basically encrypt all of your files on all of your servers, your PCs. Um, It will send a copy, exfiltrate a copy of that data out to the bad actor and they put a message up on your screen essentially that says, hey, we're, we're holding your data hostage. And I mean, this is a simplistic view of it, but uh, they hold your data hostage and say, if, you know, you pay us X amount of money, we'll give you the key to unlock it. They may or may not in fact unlock it for you if you pay that ransom. Obviously we don't like people paying the ransom because that encourages this type of behavior. Um, the downside is once they're into your system, Even if you pay the ransom, you get your data working again, get your system operational. There's nothing to prevent it from being reactivated unless you strip all of your hardware completely down, reformat everything, and reload everything to be sure that your equipment is truly clean. That's a tremendously labor-intensive and time-intensive process.
2: Let me give you a real-world example of that, Bill, because you are absolutely 100% correct. The city of Tulsa had a ransomware attack early in 2021. Uh, And so from the time they detected it uh, until it activated was less than 24 hours. And so it began to encrypt systems and proactively the security team and the IT department at the city of Tulsa shut everything down, which is exactly what you need to do. Well, what does shut everything down when you're a city entity mean? That means we're going to shut down, oh, we're going to shut down the the billing system for utilities and and other systems. Oh, by the way, we're going to shut down your computer-aided dispatch system, your entire police records system. Some components of your radio system, everything that does anything with alerting the stations or sending out tones or opening doors or turning lights on in fire stations. Uh, you can't do any more reports. You got to do everything by hand. Uh, you don't have any advanced run cards. We can't tell where ambulances and vehicles are anymore because uh, we shut down all the computers that receive that AVL information and we shut it all. Down. And when I say all, that means if there was a computer attached to the HVAC system that turns on the heat and the air conditioning, that's turned off too. Um, and so you have taken a large community that has a population of about a half a million people and turned off anything that plugs in. That's the real world impact of ransomware. Uh, and so we were fortunate that we're connected but not connected to the point where we had impact from it. We severed all those connections immediately, but we were able to continue to function. But we had to work collaboratively with the uh, fire department and police department uh, and share uh, some spreadsheets back and forth by paper um, so that we could continue with reporting and doing things like that. So uh, it, this isn't this isn't a minor inconvenience, gang. This is the real freaking deal. Shut it down.
0: But Let, let me offer, if I may, uh, as you know, Frank, I'm a recovering COO these days. Uh, and, of course, when I was uh, running a system in our control room, first of all, we had the MPDS cards by the side of the dispatcher. So immediately you can go to the card set. Behind them was a very large map of the city with magnets, with all the ambulances pre-numbered and pre-named. And once in a while, we'd go in there, throw the switch and go, okay, we're on paper and we're on map. And so, you know, have you communication centre folk exercised that lately? Um, have you medics on the truck actually got a map book? And more importantly, do you know how to read it? Because, you know, I'm not sure these days we we talk about cross streets when we're dispatching, but that's something that perhaps if it all goes really, really badly south... It's a skill that we need to pick up on again. Hey, don't forget, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Amazon Music, on Stitcher and Spotify. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to rate us on the platform you are listening on, rating and reviewing. Give us five stars so we'll continue to be uh, up there uh, in the in the clouds. Not the iCloud, but up there in the clouds. Uh, and also, let's just take a moment to hear from our sponsor, Lexapol. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, Visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com.
3: Bill, you were just going to give us some uh, some more information there. Yeah, um, I'm concerned that we're actually going to see some actual cyber warfare, which we have not seen to this point. Uh, The federal government identifies 16 critical infrastructures that must be protected and maintained in the U.S. 80% of these critical infrastructures are run, owned, and maintained by private entities. But the ones that most impact us from the public safety standpoint are going to be uh, communications, which is telephony, the internet, uh, and all the associated things that go with that. Public safety itself, 911 centers, the radio towers, trunk radio systems, and the public safety agencies themselves, the financial industry, and the healthcare industry. And we know from the current intelligence that these are the four critical infrastructures that the Russians are most likely to target in the coming days and weeks. So if they can attack us and have the ability, and this has occurred on a few occasions in the U.S. as as the Russians have tested their attack methodology, they can go after the switches, let's say, that tie the the wireless phones, the, the cellular phones, the landline systems and take those out, or they can go and take out the switches that maintain all of the 911 centers' trunk lines at a given location. So They can take a 911 center offline. They can take a trunk radio system offline, and in theory, they could insert code into those switches and routers that damage them. Those devices would have to be replaced before you could get your system back up and operational. These are things that most uh, most public safety systems really have not considered or planned for. And, you know, this is a warfare type of activity. This crosses over from hacking to warfare. And uh, this, is, this is what we may be in store for. And this is why I believe the president spoke out rather than having the traditional Department of Homeland Security briefing on it. Uh, that's why I think this is so significant.
0: And of course, this is state sponsored, and not just you know folk in a dark room that are you know trying their, chancing their arm with a with a hack. Uh, but Frank, but Frank, with your uh, chief operating officer hat on, obviously you've got to brief the guys on the trucks, in terms of the things they should be considering and they should be thinking about. I mean, at at the on the street level, what do folk need to think about?
2: Well, it's it's you know it's while, the landscape has changed significantly. The instructions haven't. The instructions remain and will always be. Think before you click. Think about every email you get. Look at everything with a critical eye. Am I expecting this email? Uh, do I need this link? Do I? You know, is it, it, there are there are so many ways for um, for for these attacks to 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 come. Uh, and get into your network, you know, the least of which is through all of our, ex, you know, extensive network and monitoring, but the easiest of which is through the human. So continue to do the right things. Continue to think about what you're doing, making sure that we as an organization are providing training and education to people so that they know what to look for, uh, and, and we do that with monthly training and, and uh, with, with some of our staff, and we're getting ready to roll it out to all all team members here or you get a monthly video to watch about your cybersecurity uh, stance and understanding those threats. So, I mean, that's the conversation. And then, and then you also have that conversation in the hallway as you see people. You know, hey, how's it going? Think before you click, um, and and you make it just a part of the landscape that so everybody is always thinking about it, not necessarily thinking about it in 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 a way that that creates fear and hysteria but thinking about it in a way that makes people smarter consumers of technology uh, and and smarter users of technology.
0: Updating that old saying to a new saying. Remember, loose tweets, sink fleets. So uh, we must remember that.
2: I'll now, have to write that one down, Rob. Thanks.
0: Yeah, you, you're welcome, mate. Now, uh, that was the info for the guys on the truck. But Bill, you know, if you're a, an analyst working back at First Watch or if you're a biller working in Frank's billing office and you're sitting in front of a computer screen... All the, is there any different advice?
3: I, I agree completely with everything that Frank said. Um, the only thing that I would add to what he said is social engineering. Um, you've got to be very cautious about social engineering when you work, especially in a large agency. Um, you know, somebody can call on the telephone and say, hey, I'm you know, John from IT, and we're having trouble with the XYZ server, and we need you to log in or do this or do that. And, Uh, You can't do it. Well, you know, can you give me your password? Let me see if I can do it from here type of thing. That type of social engineering in in an office environment, be it government, private, doesn't really matter, um, is something you've got to be careful for. There are very skilled social engineers out there that can uh, really wreak havoc upon your system and steal passwords where basically you just hand them the key and give it to them with a smile and don't realize you've been had until... Uh, you know, something bad has really occurred. And,
0: and not only that, I mean, there's a general security issue as well around, you know, we're, we're really good at holding doors open for people here in America. Actually, we're very polite. I, I have to tell you, even uh, even right. as an Englishman, you're all very polite. But, you know, don't hold the door open for the person that doesn't have a pass or who's, who says, I'm just dropping in to That's deliver right. the pizza to the com, which, of course, is a classic uh, entry methodology. Um, sure. and, and so, we, you know, physical security... Is going to lead to looking after your infrastructure as well, and uh, you know, if you're an ED who has the time honored code nine one 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 for the door, you might want to think about changing that too, or yes, and don't change it to one one nine either because that doesn't work too.
2: Well, I think one of the things that uh, Bill you pointed out in in the in that email that you just sent out from First Watch here just a little while ago um, is that uh, you better have a plan for backup. I mean, if you don't have your your data and your infrastructure backed up in some way, shape, form or fashion right now, um, you, you're 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 already behind the eight ball. And and when we say back up, we're not talking about, oh, yeah, you know, we, we 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 back it up to a floppy disk every night. Uh, and then uh, Myrtle takes that home with her. That that's not. Going to be a backup that's going to help you recover your systems. We're talking about uh, using professional products and technology to back that stuff up and back it up in a way that's immutable, or uh, so that it is immune to um, ransomware attacks. So that it's separate systems. The the you know getting it in multiple locations. I you know I at, at EMSA I have the benefit of having a data center in Oklahoma City and a data center 110 miles away in Tulsa, so I can back stuff up to different locations. So I get some geographic redundancy. And then we stick it in the cloud as well. And we park it in a couple of different safe places there. Um, so if, if you don't know what your organization's backup strategy is today, uh, you're about 12 years behind. So uh, make sure that's one of the things that you're looking at on a
3: regular yeah, basis. I agree 100%. Backups are critical. Um, and I'm a, I'm a believer in Real-time, on-site backups. I'm a believer in snapshot backups, like every hour, where a system logs in, takes a snapshot of everything, logs out. And then a believer of glacial backups, where you take an image of your entire system, be it weekly or monthly, and it's put away typically like on Amazon's S3. Um, And I also believe in backing up to one of the secure online cloud services in real time. Uh, that's how you cover your bases. And uh, one of our clients had an issue uh, that we were able to help them recover from uh, a month or so ago, and it was the uh, snapshot backups is what really helped us go back. We were able to pinpoint exactly when the infection occurred. Uh, We were able to then go back and, and, and see when it entered. We figured out how it entered, and they were able to recover their system between the snapshot backups and the glacial backups. And that's, you know w- was beautiful they were back up and running within within a 24-hour period and most agencies I'm afraid it would have been a weeks long event to try and recover from the situation they were in and I think the other
0: thing we need to remember is that uh, you know EMS in, in America is uh, comes in different sizes and shapes and uh, you know, not everybody has a, a CIO. Has a lot of IT folk, and we're talking about right down to rescue squad level. And uh, so, you know, there is, whilst it, we're talking about some sort of fairly big corporate uh, IT tasks to do, this should be replicated all the way down to the rescue squad in in you know in a, in a very rural area because you you everybody's got data these days. If you have an electronic patient care record, you have data, and therefore it's uh, it's accessible somewhere somehow. Um, And, you know, this is not just for the big organizations. This is for everybody. So, Bill, before we do go, let's talk about the Durham ransomware attack. We did a webinar about that. We did a Conversations That Matter, in fact. And uh, uh, we must actually give some props to James Kalis over at CMS World, who recently wrote that session up. And of course, we'll make that available via the First Watch website and other other outlets. But, uh, you know, since then, and of course, Durham had a massive ransomware attack. We talked about that. And this is you know, the thing that we are hoping happens to nobody else. But it's been a long time. But what happened next for them? Have they totally recovered? Is it just a case of unplugging something and, you know, Control-Alt-Delete, turn off, turn on? I'm, I suspect not. What's happened since? No, as,
3: as we discovered earlier uh, today, we, um, we took a lot of time in Durham. Durham took a lot of time to, to get recovered, unfortunately. Um, many, many lessons were learned. Uh, That, that attack actually happened two years ago and a week, two years and a week ago right now, and it took Durham the better part of a month to get their computer-aided dispatch back up and running and get their primary public safety functions running, Uh, then it took a number of months to get other systems up and going, um, payroll systems, time sheet systems, that sort of thing. And still today, two years out, they have a few things, both in the city government and the county government, that uh, that are not functional yet, that they've still not been able to restore. Their backups had not been verified, and they were unable to use the backups. And so they've basically sort of had to reconstruct a number of things manually. And it's, it's been a difficult task. But uh, the folks in Durham have been most gracious and, and, as you know, did the the webinar with us and were very open about what had happened and the lessons learned. And uh, I think they are in a much better position. They were compromised late on a Friday night. That's when many of these things occur for holidays or Friday nights. Uh, Saturday nights, when you have junior people working, you got uh, typically little to no IT staff working and, you know, you, the junior people are scared to to call the boss and say, hey, I think we got something really wrong going on. And that's that's unfortunately sort of what happened in Durham is it, it got out of control before the, 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 the bell was rung. And it, it came in and the, the city and county share a number of joint IT resources. And it came in through the sheriff's department and it went into both the city and the county, into the 911 system, all the other public safety agencies and every other department in both city and county. And so I mean it was, it was a devastating attack, absolutely devastating.
0: Two, two comments on that first of all, everybody, if you see something, say something that goes without, uh, goes without saying but please do say something. And, you know, hats off to Durham because a lot of organizations don't want folk to know it's happened to them. They want to keep it very, very secret. You know, there could be a shareholder issue. There could be a board issue. um, Many, many things. And so the opportunity to learn the lessons and identify those lessons from Durham, you know, we we must uh, thank them for that.
3: And and full disclosure, I've I've been involved with uh, Durham County EMS since 1984. So I'm not an active medic there now, but... um, I do assist them with advice on things, and so just to to make that disclosure known. So, as we close, uh, Frank, we had the
0: president's message, but what's uh, the EMSA COO's message to folk out there? Well,
2: uh, if you are waiting for the president to tell you that the cyber cybersecurity and cyber warfare landscape is changing and it's bad, then you're behind the eight ball already. Uh, so the thing to do is to prepare 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 and if you don't think you are prepared ask for help and I can't and I can't underscore that enough uh, this is not the time to say uh, I really don't know what I'm doing and I'm afraid I'm gonna lose my job this is not the time to say hey, I don't think we have enough money to protect ourselves correctly no this is the time to take action and make sure that you have an appropriate appropriate um, cyber posture within your organization. And, and that's all the way from the small volunteer rescue squad up to the large um, multinational EMS organizations. That that goes the same for everybody. you got to have the right posture. And if you're waiting for the president to tell you it's about to get bad, you're behind the eight ball.
0: So thank you for those wise words. And the same question to you, Bill.
3: I I agree with Frank completely. Um, If if you're a professional in the EMS world, public safety world at this point in time, and part of your responsibility is dealing with your information and securing your information. uh, If if you don't have a plan, if you don't know what all your resources are, if you don't have a backup strategy already in place, um, you're, you're not competent. Um, All this stuff should already be, in place and you should have a working plan uh, we now should be the time where we're we're looking at things and you know tightening a screw here and making a little adjustment here and there and uh, reviewing the plans making things better uh, if, if, if if we're making new plans right now we're really in trouble
0: excellent so it's the rule of peas prior preparation and planning prevents poor performance and so we must uh, get on with that so gentlemen thank you so much and uh the final question is, uh, how can we get hold of you, uh, Frank?
2: Uh, by Always by email, at greshf.emsa.net. Um, that's probably the fastest way. Or if you're one of those that are on the socials, I'm all over the socials. So by all means, uh, reach out. Don't ever hesitate.
3: Excellent. Thank you. And Bill? Um, I'm at First Watch. My direct number is 760-284-9810. And my email is is B-O-T-T-Bot at firstwatch.net. So that's all for now. Thank you to
0: my guests. You can follow me on Twitter at UKRobL1 or over on LinkedIn. That's it. Thank you, guys. I've been Rob Lawrence. Until next time, bye for now.